1: And welcome to those who are online. Join us. And if this is your first time, join us online. uh, Welcome. Glad to have you along for the ride. I want you to listen to some of the the book titles uh, from some prominent authors that were at one point likely on uh, some of the the best selling lists. So here are some of the titles. Uh, Your Greater is Coming. Uh, Another one was You Were Made for More. Your Best Life. Are you starting to notice a theme here? The Power of Favor. It's your time. It's on the way and better all the time. Do you see see a theme in all those titles? It's really all about you and and your prosperity, really, in this world. But, But here are some of my favorite ones. Become a better you, seven keys to improving your life every day. And then this one, look great, feel great, 12 keys to enjoying a healthy life now. I can imagine someone you know, reading those book titles, Seven Keys, 12 Keys, and he says to his friend, hold my communion wine. And then he goes and he writes this book, 21 Ways to Finding Peace and Happiness. Just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Good luck remembering them all if they're different. Well, based on those titles, you would think that, that the Christian life was just one all about prosperity, where, where God is out to bless you, God's out to make your life easy, and there's health, wealth, and happiness. And really, the only thing causing you from missing out on it is you just haven't figured out the secret yet. But once you figure out the secret code, once you start to apply this and you work hard enough, then everything you've dreamed of will be at your fingertips. The wealth, the health, the happiness, and so forth. The unspoken corollary of that, though, the opposite of that is that the reason that you're not experiencing all that is because there's, there's things in your life that aren't right. And, and there's some difficulty that you're experiencing because you're failing in some parts of your life. And that, you know, therefore you must be out of God's will. Because if you were in God's will, you would have all that prosperity you're hoping for. And so at, at, at best, you're just, you know, um, God's withholding his blessings from you until you figure it out, but at worst, he's punishing you because you're doing something wrong. In any case, the reason that your life is so hard, the reason your life is so difficult, the, the message is because it's your fault. And, and you know, to be honest, that's that sort of thinking is, is basically what made snake, snake oil salesmen in the days past so successful that there was just something you needed, this little concoction that they made that was probably nothing more than toilet water with a a couple spices in it. But if you dropped your money, if you paid for and bought this special oil or ointment or whatever it was, then you would have everything you dreamed of. And that's what these these authors are often relying upon, this idea that you could experience all that joy and pleasure that you want if you bought their concoction, if you bought their principles and their pathways. But really, it all came down to you and what you're doing. And I think it was so successful in the same way it was with the snake oil salesman, is because we're all drawn to that idea of living a life of comfort and ease. We're all looking for that easy life. And so these ideas, these concepts are preying, I think, off the desperation and vulnerabilities that we're all experiencing. But what we forget in that moment, though, is that the world we live in is a world that is filled with toil. A, will, a world that is filled with pain and with conflict, and will continue that way until the new heaven and earth, new earth comes because of the curse that we're experiencing. In Job 5, verse 7, Job writes, for man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. It's a guarantee. Even Jesus affirmed this uh, with his disciples. And at the end of John, chapter 16, and, and that, that passage, where we, where we find it, is really key because it's the last verse of chapter 16. It's the end of Jesus' discourse with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. Chapter 17 is his prayer for you and I, and then chapter 18 is his arrest. So the last thing God tells or Jesus tells his disciples is he says in verse 33, These things I have spoken to you so that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. There's no escaping the trials. There's no escaping the difficulties. Isn't this exciting news? Let's close in prayer. We'll go home. And thankfully, that we have a God at times will rescue us from those trials. And you you will have maybe something in front of you, and you're worried about it, and you're nervous about it, and you pray about it, and then it suddenly disappears. And thank God that he rescues us from those trials. But there are other trials, however, where God doesn't rescue us from them, but he rescues us through them, giving us the strength and the perseverance and the resilience to get through the trial rather than overcome the trial. And as we're going to see this morning, that's actually a good thing. It's good that he doesn't always rescue us from all of them. And while it would be easy to live in a, in a world that is light and relaxing, The reality is we also at times have different seasons, as we saw last week. And some seasons are harder, they're darker, they're heavier, they're scarier, and they're even overwhelming at times. All of those await us at some point. But thankfully, we have not been abandoned, right? That our Father has not left us onto our own devices to try and figure all this out on our own. As it says in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We have our Father's word, and our Father's word is, is helping us to discern and discover what he's up to and how do we get through these difficult times. And so this morning, we're going to finish chapter four of 2 Corinthians. And it's been, it's been an incredible chapter. I hope, hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed studying it, to see the, the Apostle Paul's train of thought from the beginning to the end, and, and hopefully we can tie it all back together because what he's ending with in this chapter is what he began with as well but he's pointing to us over and over again, the only one that will be able to help us in these times of need, in these difficult times. So let's read our passage together, beginning in verse 13. Paul writes this, but having the same spirit of faith according to that which is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison." While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have not been abandoned to try to figure this out on our own, that you have, through this apostle Paul, given us this incredible passage. And it's another passage that will help Sustain us, help encourage us, help comfort us when we go through difficult trials. Because maybe there are some here who are currently in those trials, and the rest of us is just it's a matter of time. We're all gonna face these difficult times from time to time. But thankfully, Lord Jesus, your grace is sufficient. And would you help us this morning through through this message, through this passage, to be reminded of that? Reminded how we can turn to you. As you rescue us through these trials. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, like I said, this is really just part three to this chapter. Right? This, this whole chapter four is one continuous thought. And last week we were we saw that there's this always and constantly, always and constantly being handed over to death, handed over to the situations that are filled with pressure, filled with confusion, persecution, and being knocked over by life. Feeling like you got hit by a bus but God, right? We saw that, that wonderful phrase, but God, and how that everything changes, right? That, that since we have the life of God within us, although we are pressured, although we are afflicted in every way and from every side, but we're not crushed. And although we're perplexed and we're confused, but we're not despairing. And we're persecuted and we're attacked, but we're not forsaken, we're not abandoned. And although we may be knocked down from time to time, but we're not knocked out, we're not destroyed. And we saw that, that Paul said that this was all happening, that the glory of God may be manifested in and through our mortal bodies. What a great picture that is to understand that, that it's in these trials that God God's is, is glory can show up best. Because there's this principle of light showing up best in darkness. And so it's in those dark times, in those difficult times, as Jesus is living in and through us, that that life can flow through, and therefore people can see Jesus better in us. So he summarized it in verse 12 when he said, so death works in us so that life works in you, that you can experience Jesus. And so verse 13 really is just a continuation of these ideas, so he says now in verse 13, but having the same spirit of faith according to that which is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. Now wherever you see uh, a phrase in all caps in your Bibles, that's the translator giving us a clue, telling us that, that this is a quote from the Old Testament. So if you've got your Bible handy with you, quickly turn to Psalm 116. We're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time, because that's where uh, the commentators believe and the scholars believe that's where Paul is quoting from. And I think there's something significant in this passage that we need to understand because what he's saying here is that that I having the same spirit of faith as the author. Meaning that that my my heart, my attitude, my 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 approach is is written well or, I, or connected to what the, the psalmist in Psalm 16 116 wrote. And so if let's do a, a quick scan of that passage, we're gonna start to see what Paul was feeling, what he's what he's uh, connecting with. So notice in verse 1, he says the the writer talks about pleading for mercy. And in verse 3, he talks about being surrounded by snares of death, suffering distress and anguish. In verse 6, he talks about being brought low. And verse 18, about weeping and greatly afflicted. And in verse 11, alarmed and in terror. You get a sense of what he's going through. You get a sense of the trials that he's up against. And and the struggles he's up against are, are more than physical. There might be a physical component to it, but it is more this battle going on in his soul, this pain that he's suffering in his soul. And that that soul pain, that soul suffering is much deeper than anything physical that you can experience. And so it's in the midst of all this that he writes now, verse 10, that Paul's quoting for us in Corinthians. And I love how the ESV, the English Standard Version, put it. It says, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. Even when I spoke, I believe even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. You know, too, too often our, our problems that we experience are because we try to oversimplify things. We're, we're, we're simplistic or reductionist in our thinking. And what I mean by reductionist is, is we try to make everything just into one thing only. And the reality is life is far more complex than that. That often more than one thing can be true at the same time. For example. Roller coasters can be fun and exciting and terrifying at the same time. In fact, for many people, the two are related. The more terrifying, the more fun and exciting it is. And if that's not the case for you, then don't go on roller coasters. A little free advice there. Amen. (laughs) Here's another one. You can respect a person while not always agreeing with them. Or as parents, you can love a child and not give them everything they want. Or here's another one. People who live in poverty, that could be the result of both having a hard life, but also making poor choices, which means that, that yes, they might need a hand up at times, but at the same time, they also might need to learn to make better choices in life. Both can be true. And too often, what we do is we try to simplify it and say it's only one or the other. They just need to make better choices, or they just need a better, another chance another opportunity. Chances are it's both. So more things can be true at the same time. And in, in life, this is evidenced by the psalmist here. And that's what Paul so is, is, is latching on to. That's what Paul's talking about here. That you and I, we can have at the same time faith and anxiety at the same moment. We can believe and still feel terrified. And it, I think it's important because we often mistake feelings to be the indicator of what's true. That if I'm feeling afflicted, if I'm feeling scared, if I'm feeling doubt, then I must not be believing. Then I must not be trusting. And there must be something wrong. If I don't feel love, that means I must not be loved. If I don't feel I belong or I don't feel accepted, then I must not feel uh, like I must not belong or, or, or be accepted. And the reality is you can feel both things at the same time. You see, too many people have felt the shame of failure from well-meaning Christians when they're feeling down, anxious, and low. The response too often is, well, if you just put your faith in Jesus, then those feelings will go away. And maybe, maybe they won't. It's not the point. It's not a matter of trying to control and manipulate these feelings. That's not the issue. Instead, we can feel pain, distress, fear, and despair at the same moment as we're trusting Jesus. Jesus. In fact, later in this letter, Paul's going to talk about how he felt weak and downcast and exhausted. And yet, at the same time, he felt strong. When I was weak, then I was strong. It's not like Paul was weak, and he was tired, and then he prayed, and suddenly he was Superman. Both existed at the same time. And so when you find yourself in these moments, here's here's some helpful reminders. Give yourself permission to feel what you're feeling. They're just feelings. They're not an indicator of something greater or something true. They're just their feelings, their responses to what's going on. Acknowledge them, but also acknowledge what's true, that you have Jesus with you and in you. You're not alone. You are deeply loved, deeply accepted. And God has a plan, and he will equip you for whatever you need in that moment. Again, that doesn't take away the feelings. Doesn't take away the exhaustion, maybe. But all that he's requiring of you right now is to believe in that moment that his power is enough in and through you. And that's what Paul's saying. Just like that psalmist said, I believe even when I'm greatly afflicted, we believe and so we speak. And so that's his greater work that he's talking about. So in verse 14, he says, knowing that he, God, who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with him. We're not going to spend too much time in this verse because he's going to expound on this more in the next chapter, in chapter 5. But briefly here, what he's talking about is we're awaiting new spiritual bodies, that we're going to exit these broken bodies and we're going to receive new ones. But in this verse, I want to highlight something else that I think is really important here. And that is Paul stressing to them the unity and the equality that he shares with these believers. It's not the apostle Paul up here and then the regular Corinthians down here. It's not the super saints up here, and then the rest of us down here. We're all one and the same. We're all equal, and we're all going to stand in unity, in equality, with Jesus before God. Incredible. To me, that, that just brings such humility into all this, because that clearly says it's not about me. It's not about what I do or don't do that qualifies me to stand with Jesus. It's what Jesus has done. And that's good news, I think, for all of us. So one's not better than the other. Then in verse 15, he goes on, for all things are for your sakes. He's back to this idea about being a bond slave. Right? Remember, we talk about being a bond slave to the Corinthians, where he's doing it for them. He's going to bless them. He's going to love them. For all things <clears throat> are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. I just love that picture there, that, that as this love is going out, as they're looking to serve other people, this grace of God is spreading. If you've ever wondered, how do we spread the grace of God? I think there's some clue here. We love others. We we express grace. We offer grace to other people. And that grace will spread to other people. And then what's the natural result? What will happen as the grace of God spreads? God will be glorified. It's not the law. It's not moral choices. It's not moral behavior. It's not performance that needs to spread. It's God's grace that needs to spread. Because that grace will lead to God God being glorified. Well, verse 16 now, therefore, we do not lose heart. Again, that that phrase, we do not lose heart, that that showed up in verse 1 of chapter 4. And and we saw do not lose heart essentially means that we don't grow weary and give up. So it's it's more of his, his attitude and his heart. It's not that he's not tired. It's not that he's not exhausted. He says that we won't give up on this. We will keep fighting for you so that we don't lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. So the outer man, that's our, our physical body. And it's, it is breaking down. This, this week, for the first time in two and a half years, I played hockey. <laughs> so you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. Right. I, 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 I was a success. I didn't pull any muscles. That's a win. Uh, it wasn't as good as I remembered, uh, but I felt tired. I felt exhausted. I mean, I remember as a kid, I used to just run everywhere I went. I was just running, running, running. Now I get winded thinking about it. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just every one of us, our bodies are breaking down. Even if you're like Peter in the best shape of your life. It is a matter of time before that body fails, because all of our bodies are on this this march towards death. They are decaying, just as God promised in the garden. From dust you came to dust you will return. And so this, this is happening to each and every one of us. And so that's what he's talking about. Our outer man is the king. Our outer man is wearing out. But our inner man, our spirit and our soul the essence of who we are. Remember, we're spiritual beings. We have a soul, we have a mind, we have a will, we have an emotions. That's the core of us, made in the image of God, bonded with Jesus in our spirit. That's incredible to me that my spirit and his spirit become one spirit. They're together. Now, please understand, that doesn't make me God, and that doesn't make God me, and, and it doesn't erase me where I, I disappear from the equation. I think the great picture that God's given to us for this is marriage. So, so Joy and I, when we got married, we became one. That didn't, doesn't mean she became me, or I became her, or that one of us disappeared in all that, but now we're together. What happens to her happens to me. Her successes are mine, and vice versa. We're we're united in one. And that's what this idea here is, that our spirit has been united with God's spirit. His success is our success. His wealth is our wealth. His power and his love is ours. And I still have a soul. I still have a mind, will, and emotions. I'm unique in who I am, but I'm joined to Jesus. And this inner man, Paul writes, we are being renewed day by day, in and through the Holy Spirit. What what does that mean practically, this idea of being renewed? Now, notice it's present tense. It's ongoing. And, And so this idea here that every situation that I face, every day has a new set of challenges. But every day, God will give me what I need in that moment. So for example, as a, as a husband, or as a father, or when I'm counseling, or, or when I was studying and, and writing this message, and now as I'm delivering this message to you guys, or if I'm comforting a friend, or if I'm facing temptation, each unique situation, God provides to me what I need in that moment. Everything I need for life and godliness as I partake, as I, as I lean into his divine nature given to us. And every day's new, and so I'll need different grace depending on the situation. And this idea of it being renewed day by day. You know, too often we, we see a challenge from start to finish, and we think, I don't know how I'm gonna do it. You know, you you look at a giant mountain and you think, I don't I don't know how I'm gonna climb that whole mountain. I mean, it's a massive mountain. And there's, there's this you know, rock face and this steep hill. And I don't know what I'm going to do here. And, and we started imagining how I'm going to climb the whole mountain at, at the beginning. And the reality is you can't. You can't climb the whole mountain right away. All you do is you take one step, and then one step, and then one step, and then one step. I mean, you climb the mountain one step at a time. In the same way that, that God won't give you the grace for an entire situation at once. He gives you the grace and the power for the next step. And whatever that next step is, you take it. And then when that step is completed, guess what? He gives you the strength and the power for the next step. And that's what he's looking for, this idea where we're trusting in Jesus day after day after day. But too often, what we do is, is we've approached God as in a sense that kind of like our, our, our gas tanks in our car. Right where you pull in, you get it filled up, and then you go and drive for, you know, five, six hundred kilometers, and then you you run out of gas and you get filled up again, or if you got a Tesla, right, you, you plug it in and you charge it up until the battery runs down, and so we have that mentality: fill it up, drain it, fill up, drain it. But that's not the mentality that God has for us. He says, "I want you to keep filling up for me." Imagine you got the gas station inside the car. Imagine you got the charger in the car and it's constantly being filled up day after day after day. That was the picture of the Israelites in the wilderness. Remember the manna that would come down every day? The manna would come and as much as you gathered, that's what you needed for the day. But if you gathered more than you needed for the day and you try to store it up for the next day, what happened to it? It was spoiled. It was rotten. You had to throw it out. So you would go back and gather new manna. See, that was was God training his people. And then when Jesus shows up, he says, I am the man. I am the bread of life. I'm the one you need. I'm the one you require. And so you come to me day by day. And day by day, I will empower you. I will give you what you need, even moment by moment. And so that's what he's saying here, is yes, I'm tired physically, but in my spirit, I'm being renewed. And, and I've experienced this many times where, where I felt tired and worn out. Maybe I have to go into a counseling session or when I was teaching or even when I was going home after a long day and I'm exhausted physically, but then I'd pray and I'd say, okay, Jesus, I need you right now because I can't do this. I'm tired. The fatigue didn't go away, but I found that I had the strength that I needed in the moment. And so that day by day, that moment by moment renewing, That's what was happening here. So the outer man, the body's decaying, but the inner man is being renewed. Well, then he goes on into verse 17 now. He says, for momentary light affliction. Isn't that good? Momentary light affliction. Sounds like a stub toe. Right? Sounds like you, you know, you 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 hit your ham with your hammer or something like that, right? Just, Just this momentary light affliction, not a big deal. You might be reading that and thinking, that's not my life. What I'm going through is not momentary. I've endured this for years, and it's certainly not light. It has weighed me down. Well, please understand, Paul is one that is familiar with that kind of sorrow. He's he's not trying to diminish what you're going through. What he's going to do is he's going to set up a contrast, comparing what you're going through compared to what awaits us. But please understand, Paul is someone who is well acquainted with deep pain and sorrow. Let me give you a little bit of his resume, so to speak, of what he's experienced. He he gives us a brief summary later on in this book in chapter 11. But up to this point in his life, Paul's experienced imprisonments, more scars than he can count, He's been in danger of death more times than he can count. He's been whipped five times, beaten with rods, stoned to the point where they thought he was dead, which is why they stopped. He's been shipwrecked, robbed. People have made vows to kill him. He's been homeless, hungry, and cold. He's been betrayed and abandoned by close friends, and he's been slandered. He's been through a lot. And so he's well acquainted with difficulties and hardships. But when he's talking about the suffering, the afflictions being light and momentary, he's not saying they're insignificant on their own, but insignificant and compared to what awaits us. So he's making this contrast. And the contrast is momentary versus eternal, something that lasts for a brief moment versus something that goes on and on and on and never, never fades, never disappears. Something that is light and insignificant in comparison to something that is heavy and weighty and powerful. And this affliction and pressure versus glory. You see, the comparison is best worked out this way. You think about the Rogers Center, right, where the Blue Jays play. Have you ever been in the Rogers Center? And you look up and you think, man, this place is massive. Right. It's just huge. And then when the when the roof is open, though, and you look up, what do you see? You see a CN Tower and the CN Tower dwarfs the Rogers Center. It's small in comparison to the Rogers Center. And that's what he's talking about here, that that no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult, how frustrating, how overwhelming it may feel. God's saying that it is producing something even greater. And notice it's, it's those trials that it's producing something that is eternal, that is weighty, that is powerful, and it's something of, that is glorious. Now again, he's going to explain more of this, I think, when we get to chapter five, so we're going to go into more detail there. But here's why I think it, he talks about it producing it. Right? That's why I think it's sometimes we all want to be delivered from or delivered, uh, yeah, delivered from the trial, so we never have to face it. But I'm glad we're not, because it's through those trials that glory can take place. It's those trials that is producing the glory, Paul says. And the reason for, and again, we're going to get into it more in chapter 5, is because it's in those moments that you get to exercise your faith. Without the trial, there's no need for faith. But it's in the midst of that trial where your faith shows up best. But those trials are still hard they're still difficult. So again, verse 18, he says this, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I think this is the key of the whole passage. See, it's all about your perspective. It's all about how you see things. Right? you're, You're watching something, and if you don't have the right perspective, you don't understand what's going on. Think about it. maybe maybe you're watching two players play chess, and, and maybe you know enough about chess to know that the horse makes weird moves, and, and the queen is more important than the king, and the lady said amen, right? So, so the queen's the most important character, most important piece on the board, and, and so you're, you're watching all this, and you're watching these two people play, and then you see one player make a move that is obvious that the queen's going to get captured, And you're thinking, man, what's he doing? It's it's a foolish move. He's going to lose his most important piece, and then it's a matter of time he loses. And sure enough, the other opponent takes the queen. But then what you don't know is it was a setup, that he sacrificed the queen to put the king in checkmate. And it's what perspective. One perspective looked like that was a dumb move. It was going to end it. But if you saw it from another angle, if you saw another move or two ahead, then you would see the beauty of it, what was happening. And that's the idea here, is changing our perspective so that we look at the same game board, we look at the same situation, but in another light. That's, that's what Joseph had when he, was, when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He says, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. God was going to redeem it. But but maybe the greatest change of perspective is Calvary. I mean, think about it. Calvary is the the site of the single greatest injustice this world has ever seen. The, the, The most atrocious crime, the biggest act of cruelty, where the one who embodied love was sacrificed, was beaten, was whipped and was crucified, and died in the most painful way. And that same moment is also the greatest act of love. It's also the greatest moment of victory. Both are true at the same time. Again, we're back to that idea that two things can be true at the same time. And so life can be hard and miserable, and yet the hard and miserable part is still good. I can feel alone and tired and overwhelmed. And I can trust that I am loved and empowered and have everything I need in Jesus. I can feel like giving up. But at the same moment, I can also trust that I have the strength in Christ to take the next step. I can feel like I don't love my spouse anymore. But at the same moment, trust that God will give me the love I need for them. And I can feel the desire and pull to give into, into temptation. But at the same time, I can trust God to provide a way of escape. Do you notice we're back to God's big, glorious butt? The question for you and I is our perspective. What, what will we give greater weight to? What's before the butt, or what's after the butt? To what we see in this world or to what we know God is doing or to really even? who God is, that there is a God out there that loves me. There's a God out there that's working for me. There's a God that is promised to take all things and work them out for our good, for our benefits. And that's the key. It's this perspective aspect. We need to keep the right perspective in mind. This is, this is so important, I think, that there are many passages throughout Scripture that emphasize this point over and over again. So let me share just a couple with you. In Colossians 3, 1 to 4, Paul writes to the church in Colossae. He says, therefore, if. Now this if is not an iffy if. You know what I mean by iffy if? It may or may not happen. We're not sure. If you're not sure what an iffy if, that's the weather forecast. Right? Iffy if might rain, sort of idea. But this is a sense. This is a guarantee. This is, this is as good as a promise like the Leafs will go out in the first round. It's a guarantee, right? That sort of mentality, right? So we should read this verse. Therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Right? Since you've been raised up. Ephesians says you're actually seated with him in heavenly places. Keep seeking those things. Keep your eye on what God's up to. I love how Romans 8 puts it, the things of the Spirit. Now, that might include some spiritual truths about who you are in Jesus, right? That you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That you are loved and you are accepted and you are good enough as you are. In fact, you are so good you can't improve on it, but you're also so good you can't lose it because of what God's done. So those are some things of the Spirit that God has done in who you are. But then there's also the truth of who God is in you. That he's put his life in you. And now everything you need for life and godliness is in you, available to you. Those are some spiritual truths. So there's some of the things that are spiritual. But I think it's also the things of the spirit or the things that the spirit is up to. This is where life gets exciting, right? That, that Jesus in you, in me, he's up to certain things today. So, so Christ in Anita wants to do things through Anita today and only through Anita and only today. And so Anita, she's going to keep her mind on those things. God, what are you up to? What do you want to do today in and through me? That's this idea. Keep seeking those things. Keep looking to Jesus. Remember, that's how he lived, right? I only say what my father is saying. I'm only doing what my Father's doing. I'm only up to the things that the spirit is up to in essence. And so we're going to set our mind on those things. We're going to set our mind on God's perspective, God, the situation right now doesn't look good. It's, it doesn't look, doesn't look promising. Things are falling off the, the rails here really quick. It seems that way. But God, I'm trusting you. God, you know what you're doing. So I'm going to trust that. Verse 3 in Colossians, he says, for you have died. Right? That glorious truth that you and I have been crucified with Christ. That the old Sean is gone. He's a brand new creation, a new Sean. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, he's not just in your life. He's not just on the throne of your life. He's not just the Lord of your life. He is the source of life in you. The source of your power. When he's revealed, you will also be revealed with him in glory. Keep seeking him. Keep seeking your mind on things above. Or Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. This is, this is the passage Peter shared with us a couple weeks ago when he was at West. He says, therefore, since you have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin <clears throat> which so easily entangles us. Do you know what that sin is? It's unbelief. It's, it's The whole book of Hebrews is all about, is Jesus is better, so trust him. So believe in him. And not just for salvation but each and every day afterwards. And so lay aside that sin of unbelief where we're so wrapped up in this world and we're chasing after this world, and we want this world to be right and perfect. He says, lay that aside. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Again, I can just imagine what Peter was going through when he was running that Iron Man. Why do I hate myself? Why do I hate myself? No, that's not what he was thinking. But my guess is he was thinking just one, the next step, the next step, the next step. Because if you start thinking about how far away you are from the finish line, you will give up. But just take the next step, take the next step, take the next step. That's that running the race with endurance. That's life. And life will have its ups and downs and its moments where you want to quit and get off the ride and, and be done with it. But we keep going. See, that's why that perspective change is so important. See, so when, when people, when they struggle with suicide, what, what they're really struggling with is, is they see a situation that is in their mind that is permanent, that is hopeless, that is never going to improve, it's never going to get better. And therefore, in order to solve this permanent problem, they need a permanent solution, and the only one is suicide. Because nothing will change the situation they're in. And the reality, what they're going through is Temporary. Again, it may last for years, it may last for decades, but it is temporary. And it is light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that God's producing through it. And so really, suicide is is a way to escape the pain, but it's the enemy's way to escape pain. Because it doesn't actually escape the pain, it just spreads the pain around. And so what God's inviting us then is to change our perspective. And so when we're struggling with those thoughts of, of wanting to give up, and maybe even a suicide, it's, it's changing our perspective. What I'm going through is hard, yes, but at the same time, God is sufficient. Right? I believed even when I said, I am greatly afflicted. So let us run this race with endurance. <clears throat> Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him. You know who the joy was? That's humbling. And when Jesus was thinking about, you know what? I don't want to do this cross thing anymore. Remember what he, in the garden, let this cup pass. God, let, let's, let's revisit the drawing board. Let's, let's not do this. What made him go to the cross? He thought about Ryan. Thought If I go there, I can redeem Ryan, and Ryan will be a new man. And the old Ryan will be gone, and he'll be mine. He'll belong to me, and we'll be one for eternity. That's worth it. Totally worth it. So for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's what we are do. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus. Keep looking at me. Keep looking at me. Don't take your eyes off of me. Let me close with one last story from the scriptures here. It's uh, it's from the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is written by a man named Jeremiah. And up to this point, Jeremiah had been ministering as a prophet for 50 years, warning Israel to repent. He was doing what prophets do, right? The role of a prophet is to remind them of the covenant to point them back to the covenant and remind them what happens in that covenant. So especially in the old covenant, what happens if they break it? So he's pointing them back to the Mosaic law. And he's pointing out all their sins and all their failures and how they're not obeying what God's commanded them to do. And now he's warning them of the curses that were to come. And he says, if you don't change, if you don't repent, you're going to go into captivity. Well, after 50 years, no one listened. And so sure enough, the Babylonians came. And they, they did more than just capture Israel. They left a bloody mess. They went in through Jerusalem. And they, they, they destroyed houses, tore down the temple, murdered men, women, and children in the streets. I can only imagine what they did with some of the women and children. But they left a bloody mess. And Lamentations is, is Jeremiah surveying the damage surveying what he's seen, He feels like God's abandoned him. And it's easy to see why he'd feel that way, seeing the carnage, the dead bodies everywhere, the destruction. And at this point, he's almost feeling like God's out to get him. Talks about God being like a bear lying in wait or a lion laying in wait to devour him. That, That God's broken all of his teeth. That God has shot him with arrows right through the heart. He feels all that pain and distress and affliction. Can you get there? I mean, think about it. That's that's more than just the situation that's worn him down. He feels God has worn him down. Have you been there? That's where where Jeremiah is when he's writing this book of Lamentations. And then he comes to chapter 3, and we have one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. I say that because you'll recognize a song in this passage. He says in verse 21, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Do you see? He's changing his perspective. He's changing his mindset. All this is true, but this is also true. I remember the truth now. And because I'm remembering this truth, he says, I hope the Lord's loving kindness, that's his covenant promises of love and protection, Indeed, never cease. For his compassions never fail. For they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do you recognize the song? Man, first time I read this passage in the context, I was blown away. I remember as a little kid growing up, and they would sing this song, and especially when we were at church or in the camp, and we'd have hundreds of people, and there was this, this Big worship singer because it's Baptist church, right? So he, he just was big, and and you know he's waving his hand, leading the congregation and singing it. And as a little kid, I was belting it out because I was just got caught up in it. Great is your faith, such a power ballad, right? Such a power hymn. <clears throat> and then to discover that those words were written in the midst of carnage, in, in the in Jeremiah's lowest moment, he cries out. Lord's loving kindness indeed will never cease for his compassions never fail for they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Lord God. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. Keep seeking the things above. Keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking to what the spirit is up to. Keep recalling to your mind what's true in Jesus. But God, it doesn't doesn't take away, it doesn't diminish, it doesn't ignore your trials, but it changes your perspective to see that there's something bigger than your trials. And that's the person of Jesus. And that is what gets us through it. Let's pray. Father. We're all, at some point in our lives, going to face these trials. And maybe, maybe we'll be like Jeremiah even, where we reach a point where we feel so overwhelmed, so terrified, that we feel like you've even turned your back on us, that you're even out to get us, and that you're punishing us. Or maybe you're just cruel and vindictive. I pray, Lord Jesus, that in those moments, especially in those moments, though, that we would remember what is true. We would recall to our minds who you are. We'd recall to our mind how good you are and the love by which you have demonstrated and you have bestowed us on us, this great love, and that you've made us new, and that you're not out to punish us. You're out to love us. You're out to glorify even us, and that you're glorifying yourself through us, and that who you are in us is enough. May we recall that in our mind and change our perspective so that you may be glorified and this grace, your goodness would spread to more and more people. In your name we pray, amen.
0: You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca and sign up for our mailing list subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.